If you've been with us these last Sundays in October, you know that we've been focusing on the Reformation and specifically on what we call the five solas of the Reformation, five great themes that, that came out of this Reformation period. We focus, first of all, on Scripture alone, then faith alone, then grace alone, and today we focus on Christ alone. And as with the last two weeks, faith alone, grace alone, and now Christ alone, we're focusing on what the Scripture has to say about salvation, how it is that we are saved. Um, just to give you a little historical context for why Christ alone became such an important theme during the Reformation, uh, just to, to put it very simply, by the time that the 1500s arrived, the time of Martin Luther, based on what the Roman Catholic Church was actually teaching, you would never have concluded that Jesus is all that you need to be saved. The importance of the death and resurrection of Christ was being downplayed more and more, as other things like indulgences were being emphasized more and more. Now, in, in seminary classes, they don't encourage you to read a book to the people sitting in the pews, but I'm going to do that, okay? I want to read just briefly about what was going on with indulgences during Martin Luther's time. The book is by Frederick Knoll. It's a biography of Martin Luther, and he writes then about indulgences. He says, Indulgences were a part of a church practice called penance. Penance included being truly sorry for sins, confessing these sins to a priest, and having the priest forgive the guilt of the sins and the eternal punishment that is due them. Penance also included doing good works ordered by the priest. These works were done to prove the sincerity of the confession and sorrow and to earn forgiveness for the, the temporal or earthly punishment due to the sins. The more good works a Christian did before he died, the less that he would suffer in purgatory. Purgatory was a place for Christians who had not done enough good works on earth to immediately go to heaven. Here they suffered the temporal punishment still due their sins before entering heaven. Besides his own good works, the Christian had another way to reduce his suffering in purgatory. The church taught that Christ and some of the other saints had done more good works than were necessary. God kept these extra good works in a heavenly treasury, and they called it the treasury of merits, ready for Christians who needed them. However, a problem remained. How could the Christian get some of these extra good works for himself and thus reduce suffering in purgatory? The church answered this quest, the question like this. Suppose that you have confessed your sins, been forgiven, and are doing good works. Now, if you really want some of the extra good works in the heavenly treasury, you can earn them. For example, you can say certain prayers, or you can give money to help build things like a new hospital. In this way, you will earn an indulgence. Okay, So that's what an indulgence is. The indulgence will reduce the temporal punishment due you before entering heaven. God himself will decide just how much to reduce your punishment and suffering in purgatory. Now, we've got a little historical context here for indulgences. 
Normally, only the Pope had the power to give indulgences. But in 1393, about a hundred years before Martin Luther, Pope Boniface IX appointed men throughout Europe to go and sell indulgences. To encourage the sale of indulgences, the church wrote an indulgence letter promising forgiveness of the temporal punishment for each person who bought an indulgence. Thus, the buyer had proof that his sufferings in purgatory would be reduced. In 1476, so about a hundred years later, Pope Sixtus IV added another point to the teachings of indulgence. He decided that indulgences could be bought for those who were already dead. Now a loyal daughter could free her dead father from the tortures of purgatory if she had enough money, that is. And we could go on and read more about it, but by the time Martin Luther was around, um, Pope Leo sent out a man named John Tetzel to go and sell indulgences. And, and it was to help fund the building of the new church in Rome. And so they were going on trying to get people to buy these indulgences so they could fund the church. And so what were people being told about getting into heaven? They were not being told that Christ is all that you need. In fact, as time went on, they were being told more and more that you need to do good things and you need to buy these indulgences. And Martin Luther realized that this was a problem. And eventually, through the study of Scripture, Martin Luther came to know the truth, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ and not by doing good works and certainly not by buying these made-up indulgences. We're going to look today at Acts chapter 4 as we consider the theme, Christ alone. Verses 11 and 12 of Acts 4 is what we'll be focusing on. But before we read these verses, I need to give you a little bit of context for what we're reading. If you look at Acts chapter 3, you'll see that Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. At uh, one of the gates of the temple, there was a, a man who was lame. He was begging, and, and Peter and John came, up, came across him. And they were asking Peter, he was asking Peter and John uh, for alms, for donations. And Peter and John responded to him by saying, you know, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have, we can give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So rather than giving him money, they heal him in Jesus' name. As we turn to uh, at the second half of Acts chapter 3, describes how Peter then preached a sermon to the crowd that had gathered. I mean, if you were there and you saw this healing, you would have wanted to stick around. And so Peter used it as an opportunity uh, to preach to the people. As we turn to Acts chapter 4, we read that Peter and John were arrested for what they had been doing there. And on the next day, they were brought before a group of religious leaders where they were questioned about the healing of this, this man who had been lame and, and begging. And so Peter uh, and John had the opportunity to respond to their questions. Eventually, they were released after they were being after being warned that they were not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But if you turn in your Bibles now and, and look at Acts chapter 4, verse 10, Peter makes it very clear that it is because of the name of Jesus Christ 
And he points the finger at these religious leaders whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. It's because of Jesus that this man stands here before you in good health. And so they answered the question, how it was that this man was healed. But then notice, as we look at verses 11 and 12, that Peter used this opportunity um, to speak to these religious leaders about salvation. And he said, verse 11, referring to Jesus, that he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As we take a closer look at these two verses, we want to focus, first of all, on verse 11. And you'll notice that that Peter is quoting Old Testament scripture. It's Psalm 118, verse 22. He's speaking about Christ, quoting the Old Testament, telling them that Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. In ancient times, the cornerstone was an important part of a building. It was part of the foundation upon which the entire building rested, and that cornerstone was often used to determine the lines of of the building itself. And so they'd They'd be very careful about placing the cornerstone. You need the right piece placed in the right spot, and it would serve as a guide for determining the lines of the walls. And it was obviously part of the foundation. And what Peter is doing here is telling these religious leaders that just like building a house, if you don't have a proper foundation, the building itself will end up being defective. And that's just kind of common sense for architecture. If you have a bad foundation, you're going to end up having a defective house. And what what Peter was telling these religious leaders was that in rejecting Jesus like they had, and they were responsible for him getting arrested and, and crucified on a cross, that in rejecting Jesus, these religious leaders were building a defective building. In other words... By rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting the only one who could bring them into a right relationship with God. You reject Jesus, and you lose all hope of salvation, is what he is saying. And by quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22, Peter was essentially telling these religious leaders that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has come in fulfillment of what the Old Testament scriptures prophesied. And so he's telling them, in rejecting Jesus, you are rejecting the only one who can save you, the only one who can bring you into a right relationship with God. You know, as you think about it in terms of today, it really doesn't matter what the reasons are that people have. Whatever the reasons are for rejecting Jesus, in rejecting him, they're rejecting the only one who can save them. And they give different reasons, don't they? They don't like his teaching. Or they'd conclude with the religious leaders. No, he's not the Messiah. Or someone could point to the example of, maybe the bad example of other Christians. And well, you know, my experience with Christians has always been bad, so I'm going to just dismiss their whole religion altogether. Whatever the reasons are, if Jesus is rejected, 
then the one who rejects Jesus has no hope of salvation. Because as we go on to verse 12, Peter made it very clear that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other person who can help us and bring us salvation other than Jesus Christ. Now this brings us back to Matthew chapter 1. Back to the story of the angel telling Joseph that Mary would have a child. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Richard Balgi, a Bible teacher, puts it this way. As Matthew 1 makes clear, the name Jesus means Savior. What Jesus is called, he is. What his name means is what he does. He's called the Savior because that's what he came to do. He came to provide salvation for sinful people. There is no other name by which we must be saved. In, an, in a world like today, in this pluralistic world that we live in, in this world where we need to be so politically correct and, and accepting of everyone's ideas and beliefs, this doesn't sit well with a lot of people. A lot of people want to think that there are many ways to get to God, many perfectly legitimate ways. And they, they, they don't like the idea of one way being so exclusive. But when you think about it, how is it possible to have completely contradictory beliefs about God and salvation and, the, and have them both be true? Of course, we're talking about many different religions. And, and Peter and the apostles made it very clear that Jesus is the only way to be saved, that there's no alternative there's not many paths that lead to God. It's Jesus or it's nothing else. And if we were to look through the book of Acts, we would see many places where the apostles made this clear. First of all, if you turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 43, you'll notice that Peter again is preaching a sermon. And in verse 43, he says that of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And so Peter connects for his hearers that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets and that through faith in him you receive the forgiveness of sins. Turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. The, this is Paul speaking now. And to those who are listening there, he said, Therefore let it be known to you that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Peter and Paul and the others, their testimony was clear and consistent that there is salvation in no one else but in Jesus Christ. So if you want forgiveness for your sins, there's only one place to turn, and that is to Jesus trusting that he has paid the price for your sins when he died on the cross and he rose again in victory. If you want forgiveness, there's only one place to go, and that is to Jesus.
Jesus himself made that very clear. We were in John this morning for our scripture reading. You're probably very familiar with Jesus' statement in John chapter 14, verse 6. He told his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if we look at John 3, our scripture reading for today, Jesus said that he who believes in him, referring to himself, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I was thinking about what it would have been like to live in Martin Luther's day. Imagine that you have concern for your standing before God. You understand that you're, you're a guilty, sinful person. And you're, you sincerely desire salvation. You're longing for that. You want peace in your soul. Imagine what it would be like in that day to be told a bunch of lies. To be told that you need to, to do all these extra good works. That you need to buy these indulgences. That you need to do this and do that. And, and, and hopefully, hopefully you'll get there. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine what it would be like when you discover, like Martin Luther did, that you had been told a bunch of lies. I'm guessing that most of you here today have had a lifetime of being told the truth. For most of you, that's the case. You've probably heard a message like this hundreds of times before. That we're sinners who need salvation and that salvation is only found in Christ. If that's you, what a blessing you've been given. That you've been told the truth time after time after time. That's not the case for everyone. It wasn't the case for Martin Luther and many others in his day. But Martin Luther finally came to know the truth. Like we sung, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Reminds us of the parable, doesn't it, that Jesus gave. The wise and the foolish builders. That he who builds his house upon the rock, which is Christ, that building will stand. But he who builds his life upon the sand, that building will collapse. Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is the only one who can provide us with the salvation that we desperately need. And I hope today that you are standing on Christ, the solid rock. He is your only hope of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in your word, the message of salvation is so clear. Lord, we need to hear the truth about our sin, that we have sinned against you and we don't deserve heaven. But Lord, thank you that you also tell us the truth, that because of what Christ has come and done, that we can have the forgiveness of all of our sins for free. And that salvation is found only in Christ, and if we have Christ, then we have all that we need. 
I pray that you would uh, strengthen our faith in Christ today. And Lord, help us to, uh, to be able to, to see what a treasure we have in having Christ. Lord, may this cause us joy each day. May this bring peace and comfort to our hearts, Lord, as we go through life and we, and we struggle with sin. Remind us again and again that if we have Jesus, we have all that we need to be saved. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Lord, to you be the glory. Great things you have done. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.